Well, good evening. It's good to see each one tonight. If you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be using that as a launching place for our study tonight, Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me join with Tim and welcome each one. We have guests with us again tonight. We're glad to have you in our study. I think we have a good number that has come back on a Sunday evening to be with us in our worship and study. And certainly as a speaker, I'm grateful for that. And if you're a guest, uh, our church family is glad to welcome you and hope you'll come back at other opportunities when you can. It was mentioned this morning that uh, Gabe Chavez will soon be here. In fact, he's coming in uh, Saturday and will be here next Sunday. And I want to just say a little bit about that. I'm going to have some detail probably to share with you a little bit more in a couple of weeks, either uh, publicly in a lesson or in a bulletin article, one of the two. But uh, Gabe will be here about 10, 10 or 12 days. And then I think it's May the 10th he's going to have to leave. He's got a wedding he was committed to be in. And then he's got to return to Costa Rica and renew his student visa. And so I'm not sure if that's been expressed to the congregation or not. So he'll be here, and then he won't be here for a couple of weeks, and then he'll be back uh, toward the end of May. Uh, I think it's the fourth Sunday maybe in May that he's back, and he'll be here then the rest of the summer through about the 20th of August. Um, the program, and I have done this for about 20 years, and um, so what, what I do with these young guys is, is pretty intensive, and um, it's not just... Uh, come in and do whatever. I've got books laid out for him to read, and he'll be writing articles and working up sermons. He'll be presenting uh, on most Sunday nights. Um, uh, I'm going to try to be home uh, most of the summer, although I do have two gospel meetings uh, scheduled through the summer, and uh, some of those times Gabe will preach. Other times we'll have guest speakers. Most of the time on Sunday night, Gabe will speak, um, and then we'll work him in on some Wednesday night invitations. I'm going to teach him how to do a uh, Lord's Supper talk. Uh, he'll have a lot of books to read during the summer. It's going to be a very, very busy summer for this young man. Uh, and so I just want you to know that. He'll have regular office hours here. And so in that vein, I'd, I'd like to ask a favor of you. Uh, I know this is the first time the church here has ever done this. And I've been places where people come up with some good ideas, they think, for the young man. And, uh, and sometimes they are really good ideas, but I'd appreciate it if any good idea you have for him this summer, maybe just to run that through me since I'm dealing with him on a day-to-day -day basis, um, because it might be something that we're already doing or going to do later, or maybe a conflict of what we're doing. Uh, maybe you won't have time to, it could be any number of things. So if you got something that you think would be helpful uh, for him, um, run that by me if you would. I'd certainly appreciate that. But we're excited about Gabe coming. It's going to be a great summer. Um, he's a young man, I think, that shows a lot of potential and promise and has a real zeal for the Lord. So I think you're really going to enjoy having him, and I'm looking forward greatly to working with him. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, this great book and this great chapter here talking about grace through faith and the work that Jesus Christ did for us, I'm just going to read a few verses here beginning in verse 13 that kind of lay a groundwork for well. I want to go with you tonight as we continue our study on effective evangelism. Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances. So to creed himself one new man, 
from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now the both that we're reading about here is both Jew and Gentile in the context. In fact, this term of far off goes back prophetically, and it's a term that Peter even used on the day of Pentecost. And, of course, we know the gospel went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so he speaks here to a church that has a number of Gentiles, maybe even predominantly Gentiles in it, and he speaks here how Christ has made both one, that is, both Jew and both Gentile, and that he's been able to reconcile both, both Jew and Gentile, and one body. But I want to notice here in verse 14 specifically, and one translation translates verse 14 this way, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I believe in the context of, of Ephesians that he no doubt is talking about the old law that has been broken down, that dividing barrier between Jew and Gentile that no longer exists. In the Colossian letter, he talks about how that was nailed to the cross, and certainly Gentiles are not under that anymore. But it occurred to me one time in reading this that there is a, a concept here that I think is a valid concept that may apply to some other things as well, though not specifically uh, the point of this passage. Think about it a minute, that Jesus in his earthly ministry often broke down the barriers that divided people. And he sought to build bridges of understanding to bring people into a relationship with God. Think of these two or three examples. How about the Samaritan woman? And we may look at that in another lesson down the road. But in John 4, when you see Jesus stop and talk to this woman and ask her for a drink, she's surprised. One, that he would talk to a woman in a public place, which wasn't done. But even more so that she being a Samaritan, and she says, you know, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, that you would have anything to do with me. Well, the gospel came to Samaritans as well. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, Philip went into the city of Samaria and Samaritans were converted. And so Christ came not to erect barriers between ethnic groups, but to break down barriers. And there's a good example of Jesus purposely talking to this woman and sharing with her his Messiahship. Or we see in Luke 19 another example. That's the example of Zacchaeus. And all the little children know about Zacchaeus, don't you? The wee little man that went up into a tree, you sing that song to see Jesus. Some of them want to sing it, but I'm not going to lead it. I'm sorry. But anyway, he goes up there, and he's looking for Jesus, and Jesus sees him, and he says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house today. And he went to eat with him. Well, the Pharisees were shocked at this. They, the Pharisees looked, your, your master eats with publicans and sinners. And this man was a tax collector. He didn't have a good reputation. 
In fact, it is indicated in the text there that no doubt he'd even used his position to extort money from people that he should not. And as a result of that, was convicted to do something about that. But think of that. Jesus, instead of shunning him like the Pharisees would shun the publican and the tax collector, broke down that barrier. And he sought to build a relationship with people like Zacchaeus. Or how about the sinful woman in John 8? The woman that was taken, it says, in the very act of adultery. And the Jews came, not out of any concern for the soul of this woman, but trying to trap Jesus. And says, the law says, Stoner, what do you say? And we all know the story there, how Jesus says, He that sin cast the first stone. And, of course, one by one, they all left, and there weren't any accusers left. Jesus did not condone the woman's sin. In fact, he forgave the sin and told her to go into sin no more. But the very people to whom Jesus came, publicans and sinners, were the people that the religious leaders couldn't understand why he was mingling and mixing with these individuals. But Jesus came to break down barriers and to build bridges to win people. That's what I want us to think about tonight in our lesson on evangelism. And to think about how that we in evangelism, as we try to bring people into relationship with Jesus, how can we can break down barriers and how we can build bridges? Let me suggest in the beginning that in breaking down barriers, we must certainly break down the barrier of self-righteousness. I think one of the things that is sometimes said of Christians and I think sometimes incorrectly and falsely, but sometimes maybe it is, it is uh, an accurate accusation that Christians come across to other people as self-righteous. And Jesus pointed out in his mountain message in Matthew 5 and verse 20 that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, in fact, if it doesn't, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean of that, that your righteousness shall exceed that? Well, their righteousness was a self-righteousness. They, they were proud of who they were, and, and they were haughty, and they looked down their noses up on other people, such as the tax collector and such as the people that they felt weren't as good as they are. This attitude, Jesus is saying, can keep someone out of the kingdom, can keep someone out of heaven. And so our salvation ought not to make us proud and arrogant, but it ought to humble us. And so our righteousness should not be a self-righteousness or an arrogance that we're better than other people. And so we must break down that barrier that others might perceive that we have a self-righteousness. And then we need to be sure that we break down the barrier of differences. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus came to eradicate those differences that tended to divide people not only then but now as well. We see economic differences that certainly divided people then, and they continue to do so. I think if we're honest, that most of us are more comfortable with people that we share a, an affinity with that are in the same economic range. 
And yet both poor people and rich people need the gospel. And so it doesn't make any difference what a person's economic status is or condition is, that we need to be concerned about their soul and take them the gospel. Or a person's social standing, which often relates to their economic status. The gospel knows no social bounds when you think about it. In fact, in that day, the gospel Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, often appealed to those that were of low social estate. The slave obeyed the gospel. And so it doesn't make any difference what a person's social background is or standing is in culture that we need to break down that difference and take the gospel. And other cultural uh, customs and, and things of that nature should not get in the way of sharing the gospel. Right now I have a friend, Wilson Copeland, that is in China taking the gospel. Well, as uh, Kevin can say, the, the, the culture and the customs and the situation in China is a whole lot different than right here in the good old USA. And in fact, um, the government there is not very friendly toward taking the gospel. And Wilson sends back his emails and he says, don't email me and talk to me about the church or how many we baptized or anything like that. You, you have to kind of talk in code because the Chinese government may be reading those emails. Ron Halbrook right now is in the Philippines. And you think of the differences. In fact, I mentioned, um, I can't think a couple of weeks ago about the differences in culture. And I alluded to the Philippines. And I checked with our resident expert on Philippine customs, and I was right about what I said about that, if you remember. So I won't, I won't go into that again, but they have different customs and, and cultural differences. And yet we take the gospel to the whole world. It makes no difference. In our country today, we, we are in a very uh, cosmopolitan time, and certainly in the metroplex of Dallas well, there is no telling how many different languages are spoke by people and how many people of different racial uh, and ethnic backgrounds. They all need the gospel. And so we need to work to break down barriers if we're going to be successful in evangelism, barriers of differences. And then I suggest there is a barrier for us many times of fear. That one reason why people don't evangelize Often I say because they're afraid. They're afraid of what someone may say or knowing how to answer a question or they're afraid of failure or they're afraid they're going to make a mistake. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. And so fear gets in the way oftentimes of keeping us from talking to other people and sharing Christ with them. I'm reminded of this passage in 2 Timothy 1.7 where Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. And so think about whatever fears you have in evangelism. They certainly didn't come from the Lord. In fact, I've got a sneaking suspicion who's trying to put fear in your heart. You suppose it could be the devil? You suppose the devil might could use that kind of tool to try to slow us down and to give us excuses and to keep us from talking to other people about the, about the gospel? I think that well could be the case. And so we've got to get over that, and we have to overcome that barrier. Noah Ben Shea put it this way. He said, fear makes us not only less than what we might be, but less than what we think we are. Fear reminds us, faith reminds us, we should doubt our fears. Someone put it this way, that fear knocked at the door, faith answered, 
and no one was there. In other words, your faith will overcome your fear. It will eliminate your fear. Well, then there is the barrier of procrastination and how easy it is to put off doing what it is we know we need to do. The word of the Bible is today. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But it is easy to wait for the perfect time, to wait till we're more prepared. What I need, Ken, if you would just have more sermons on this. What we need is a 13-week class. What I need is to read another book. Well, that could be true, but most of the time what we need is to quit putting it off and get busy doing what we know that we need to do. D. Bowman, in one of his books, refers to this problem this way. He says, there's a very common disease among Christians that I have chosen to call put-off-itis. It is the tendency to put things off, to wait till later, to procrastinate. The things involved are oftentimes things that are important and need immediate, sometimes urgent attention. D. goes on and writes, like a lot of itises, it's something we all suffer from from time to time. Like many health problems, one of the best ways to combat this subtle but very pervasive disease is to be aware of its symptoms and to catch it early. Well, if we're not careful, we can allow procrastination, put off itis, as D refers to it, to get in the way and become a barrier of talking to people about Jesus. And then we have the barrier of our comfort zone. If we're to be faithful to the Lord, we must get out of our comfort zone and do things at times that are going to make us uncomfortable. That's just the reality of it. And if you think about everything that we do in life, don't we have to learn to get out of our comfort zone? Whatever it is, I mean, whatever job you've got, you probably got out of your comfort zone to get that job. Or our students that are graduating from high school and going to college, what if they said, boy, I don't know, I don't think I can do this. I'm scared. I, you know, I, I don't want to go. I'm just going to stay home. Well, we would admonish them. <laughs> No, you, you're going. This is what you need to do. You need to prepare yourself. You need to get, to get ready for a career, for a job, for a profession down the road. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. In fact, everyone here that's married got out of their comfort zone, didn't they? You asked her for a date. Fearing she might say no. And you popped the question. I mean, I'm just saying everything in life is about getting out of our comfort zone, isn't it? And so evangelism is not any different, and we have to work to get out of our comfort zone. Well, let's take the rest of the time, and let's talk about building bridges and how that we do that. And then I want to end with just a few practical suggestions to help us just get out there and try to reach people. One, I would suggest that people feel insecure and unsure, and we need to work to give them confidence. You know... There's, there's a lot of people in the religious world that are, that are wary of Christians. They're wary of or, organized religion. And there are people that know they ought to. I've, I've studied with people that say, you know, Ken, I know what you're teaching me is right. And I know that I need to be a Christian. But I'm afraid I can't hold out. I'm afraid I can't be faithful. I'm afraid I will fall back. I, I don't know if I have what it takes to do this or not. Reminded of a proverb from Proverbs 14, 26. 
where the wise men said, In the fear of the Lord there is confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. I try to point out to people when I'm studying with them and I see that they have a concern like this, that the Lord will help them. The Lord will give them strength. The Lord will provide for them what it is they need. They can find comfort and consolation, and they can find refuge in the Lord. We live certainly in insecure and uncertain times, but we need to put our trust in the Lord. And we need to build a bridge for people that they can have confidence in the Lord and they can have confidence in what it is we're sharing with them that it is from the Bible. You know, oftentimes in my blog, if you notice, I will say the Bible says, the Bible says. Once in a while, I say the Apostle Paul said this or Peter. I have a lot of non-Christians that read my blog. And I like to emphasize the Bible says this. When I'm studying with people that are not Christians, and, and they will often say to me, well, Ken, what do you think about this? Or they will say, well, what does your church teach about this? Or, or what does the Church of Christ believe about this? I never want to answer them, well, the church says, or I believe, or I think, no. I say, well, let's see what the Bible says. I believe when we turn to the Bible, we give people confidence that we're providing for them that which is true, that which is from God. And so as people are insecure and they're unsure and they, they're doubtful maybe of religion in general, that when we go to God's Word and we provide for them what He has revealed to us, we can build a bridge and we can help them come into relationship with the Lord. Well, the second way we build bridges is that people are searching for a better tomorrow and we can show them hope. Peter in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 said to sanctify the Lord God in your heart and to be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We have a hope that we can share that is a hope that is beyond this world. Have you ever stopped to think about the people that you know in the world that are, that, are, that are not Christians, that you work with or your friends or neighbors or relatives? What do they, what do they have? What, what hope do they have beyond this life? And, you know, we're living in such turbulent times and people, people think our country is going in the wrong direction. People are concerned about the economy and, and, and what is going to happen, although the economy is better, but there's still unsurety about things like that. There's unsurety about maybe what's going to happen in interaction with nations. Are we going to end up in a war or something? And so there's just a lot of people out there that are concerned about the future. Well, Christians don't have to worry about the future Christians are not worried and face some hopeless end that Christians have an endless hope. That we have the one hope that Paul talked about in Ephesians 4 and verse 5. And so we can build a bridge as we role model this. And we role model, I think, one of the ways is that we don't, we're not walking around wringing our hands worrying about all this stuff. Oh, we talk about it from time to time, but I, I'm not worried about it. You say, you're, you're not worried that everything's going down the tubes? Well, what if it does? We'll all be in the same boat together. And so why, why, should, I, why should I worry about that? Or, or that we're going to go to war with 
uh, Korea or, or Iran is going to get a weapon and we're going to be annihilated? Well, I guess if that happens, we'll all go to heaven sooner, won't we? I mean, we have to kind of think about what our perspective is. And, and so let's don't go around people wringing our hands and we're all worried. We don't, we don't have anything to worry about. Our faith and our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's in the things that are beyond this world. And so we can role model that to people and we can share that hope that there is another life, that there is a better life, that there's a home beyond this home, a world beyond this one. And we can build that bridge and we can show people hope. People desire meaningful relationships and so we can provide community for them you know it's kind of ironic in a way that with all of our advances and in, in technology that our technology in many times has often isolated people and so people get into their homes and their gated subdivisions or whatever and never see their neighbors I mean, it, it, it's just amazing. And, 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 and we're isolated many times. And, and there are people that are they're looking for relationships. And in fact, so much so that you have advertisements on TV that people don't know how to build relationships. So you've got to join some online organization to be able to meet people. To me, that's almost kind of crazy. But that's, that's the world we live in. People desire meaningful relationships. Well, we can provide community. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, isn't the church pictured in the Bible as a family? That God is our Father, Jesus Christ, as our elder brother, that we're brothers and sisters, that we belong to the family of God? And as we are a family, do we not have the ability then to be able to share that with other people and to let people know that we have a relationship and a fellowship that is meaningful? And, and that provides a community for us in a spiritual sense, I think that we need to probably do a better job than we do in letting people know about this unique relationship that we share. You know, people that, that I meet that wonder about, you know, how, how did you end up in, in North Texas? And they don't understand how, how it works. And then when they find out our churches are independent and autonomous, they don't understand that. And then when you get to talking to them about places you go, someone asked me the other day about, in my Rotary Club said, where are all these places you go? And I said, well, I'm going to preach in a meeting here, a meeting there, and this and that. And, and they just kind of amazed that, that we, we know these people. Well, it's a big brotherhood. And there's relationships and those of us who have been Christians a long time, and if you get around at all, you know people in a lot of different places. In fact, I dare say if Norma Jean and I wanted to, that we could take a trip across the country and never spend a night in a motel. That there would be someone in the town that we could call up that we have known previously or that we have some relationship with, and they would say, hey, come and spend the night with us. We take that for granted that we have that fellowship in Christ. We need to build bridges to people and provide for them that understanding 
and show people what it means to be a part of the fellowship and the family of God. And then I would suggest that people desire to be understood and we need to listen. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen. If we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we must be willing to listen and understand their beliefs and their backgrounds and their environment. I like the expression, I think it may come out of one of Stephen Covey's books. He said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. You notice how many times when you, you look at Jesus' interaction with people, the woman at the well and others, how that Jesus asked questions and he listened to what people had to say and then he used that as a basis of where he was going to go and teach them. That's a pretty good model for you and I to ask questions, to get to know people, to get an understanding of people, to listen to people, to understand where they're coming from. And then we can be able to listen to them and be able to share with them in such a way as that they can understand the gospel. Well, these are just a few thoughts here about ways in which we can build bridges. Let me take the last third of the lesson and just talk about some things that we can, that we can simply do. There are some things, and I broke this down into three sections here. There are some things that everyone can do, all right? So I don't care whether you're a 14-year-old Christian or whether you're a 40-year-old Christian or an 80-year-old Christian or you've been a Christian one week or 50 years, all right? Everyone can do these things. Everyone can pray, right? Can, can we not do that? Can we not pray for the lost and pray for uh, workers to be sent out into the fields of harvest? And pray for people right now, as I mentioned a minute ago, they're in, they're in foreign fields of evangelism. You know, not all of us are cut out uh, to go to a foreign country. Um, I've done a little bit of that, but not much. And I'm not sure that I'm cut out for the work in the Philippines. Um, Ron has done a great job, and other people, Bob Buchanan, different people I know have gone, gone there. Um, not all of us are cut out for that, you see. But I can pray for them, and you can pray for them, and that's just something that every one of us can do. And we can pray for our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. Do we do that? Do we think about people that are close to us, that are lost and out of Christ, and pray for our family that needs to come to know Jesus? We can do that. You know, we can greet guests graciously. Say that ten times. <laughs> we, we can do that. Now, my observation in the past number of months, almost a year now, I feel like this is a very friendly congregation. But there is a little bit of a challenge sometimes if we're not careful in being a friendly congregation because we can be friendly with each other and a visitor can come in and go out if we're not careful, never speak to that visitor. Now, we're pretty good. We got, we got ushers and we got people around and I go to the back and the elders go to the back. And I'd say it's pretty difficult for a visitor to get out and not speak to somebody. Okay. But I've kind of watched this at times and not just here, but I mean, everywhere I've ever been. I've seen people come in that are visitors and sit down on a pew and there are people sitting in the same pew behind them, in front of them and never say boo to them. Personally, I don't quite get that. That if you see someone you don't know, introduce yourself. Say hi to them. Greet them. You know, one of the challenges come up in the member care group is getting visitor's cards. 
Because if a visitor comes and they don't fill out a card, now we have no way to follow up. And if they get a card and they don't turn it in, we that still didn't do us any good if they take the card home filled out. And so everyone can help us with that. Because if someone comes in and you know they're a guest and you don't see them take out a card, you can hand them a card. Right, right, Stephen? I mean, elders, we don't, you don't, they don't have to like go through a training course or get special permission from the pastors. Okay, I thought so. Everyone's, everyone is qualified now to do that. All right? To say, hey, would you mind to fill out a, a guest card? And just hand them a card. And, and then what you can do, since you gave it to them, you can kind of watch when the plate goes by. And if they don't put the card in a the plate, then after the service over, you can welcome them again and say, hey, I'll go ahead and take your card. Thanks so much for filling that out. Thanks for coming. And it's good to meet you and hope you'll come back again. And, you know, if you find out a little bit about them, now, if they're from Tyler, they're from Houston or San Antonio, and they're just passing through, I'll say, hey, next time you're down, come back and see us. But I met someone this morning from Flower Mound. I said, well, I hope you'll come back again. We'd, we'd love to have you again. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to be here. Greet guests graciously. Now, I might be wrong about this, but it just seems to me everybody can do that. It just seems like we all can do that. It ought to be difficult for a guest to get out of here. It ought to be hard. I don't care where they're sitting because so many people are talking to them. All right? So let's all, we can all do that. And then we can share Christ in a way that won't bring you face to face. Now, you know, there are people, we were talking about the fear barrier a while ago, and so you've got to work to get over that fear. So you may not be over that yet. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll give that a little time. And there may be some, for whatever reason, that, that you need, maybe you need a little bit more work and what to say to someone face-to-face. -face. But look for ways that you can share Christ that you don't have to be face-to-face. -face. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what about a personal work card? that you can leave with someone or, or leave at the restaurant. You know, I have my own cards. We have cards here, don't we? Okay, I, I thought we did because I use my own card. And I suggest sometimes like when you go out to eat to leave a, leave a card with your tip. It's got the church's name on it. Now, I also suggest this. If you're a very poor tipper, don't leave a card because we don't want to know you go to church here, Okay. So just don't leave a card. But if you're a decent tipper, leave a card. You see, you don't even have to say anything to the server. They get their tip, and there, there's the card. Who knows what will happen? Uh, or maybe a track. We have tracks on different topics. Maybe you're talking to someone at work, and the question of abortions come up. There's some tracks back there on abortion. Or maybe a question on why we have a cappella music and not instrumental. There's a track, I think, back there on that. And, and so you say, well, here, let me just give you this track. You, you don't feel comfortable answering all their questions, but it comes up. You, you can hand, hand them a track. Or maybe you get a CD of a lesson, and, and you can give them a CD. Now, today, of course, with technology, you don't even have to do that. Then you can email them a link to our website with a sermon on it. Now, don't send them this sermon. <laughs> this is not the best sermon in the world for your non-Christian friend. But maybe a sermon on love that I've talked about or a sermon on the church, sermon idea a few weeks ago on baptism. 
Hey, that question comes up, say, hey, our preacher just preached on that a little while ago. Let me send you a link on that. It's only about 29 minutes, and you can listen to that and learn everything you want to know what the Bible says about baptism. Now, that you don't have to come face-to-face and deal with that. And then if they come back with questions, say, you know, that's, that's a good question for our preacher. Let me call him. That's okay. That's okay. I'll be glad, I'll be glad to do that. Or maybe you, you, when we have meetings, you send a note uh, with a meeting announcement. Or maybe you go into the member care group, and we have visitors, and we send notes to the visitors. Everybody can do that. All right? See, I told you there's some things everybody can do. All right? Then there are some things that many can do. Maybe not everybody, but many people can do. Like recommend the church. Now I put invite in parentheses. I got this idea from a friend of mine. It's a preacher down in Ocala a number of years ago, Colin Williamson. And Colin came up with this evangelistic idea. He said, "You know, we always recommend things to people. Like if you see a good movie and you recommend that, or a great pizza place and you recommend that, or a good steakhouse and you recommend." It. He said, "Why can't we recommend the church?" Well, I kind of like that idea. And so a new neighbor moves in or someone you meet that's new in the area, and you say, well, listen, is there anything I can do to help you? Uh, find a doctor or dentist. Be glad to recommend someone to you. Um, hey, if you're looking for a church home, I've got a group I'd recommend to you. It's a fellowship over there in Louisville, meet on Main Street, the nicest folks you've ever seen. Not a huge group, a couple hundred people, but we have all ages of people, great children's classes, whatever you want. Just You ought to have a half a dozen things in your mind that you can say good about the West Main family that you would recommend. So if it's an older couple, hey, we, we got people that you can relate to over there. You know, like Hugh Bozeman, you see, all right, this retired, okay? See? Or... Or if, it's a, or if it's a young couple, uh, we, have, we got Brandon and Tricia here, this young couple with young children, okay? I, I don't know, but just think about people and situations that you can have some good things to say to recommend this fellowship. That, that, that's something that many of us can do. Or you can be class conscious. And what I mean by that is sometimes people will raise questions about something and, and you don't know how to answer that. And you say, you know, where I go to church, we have a lot of home Bible studies. And in fact, our preacher right now has got some open time, and I do right now. And so you can say that with all integrity, that he's got some open time. I just heard him say the other day, he's looking for a class. And I'd be glad to set him up with you to study that question with you. Would that be okay if I gave him your number? See, that's being class. So you don't have to be dealing with that. And I'll go with you, okay? We'll go together, and I'll teach the class. And if I can't do it, we have elders and we have others that will teach classes. But you can be class conscious and get classes set up even though you're not teaching the classes. You can extend hospitality to non-Christians. You can meet new neighbors. You know, someone moves in on your block. You know, a good thing is to go down and to meet them and welcome them to the neighborhood. You know, like welcome wagon. And, and then you get to know them. Their names are John and Mary. And if you see them out in the yard, you go by, you can wave, hey, John and Mary. You might even want to bake some cookies. 
Now, if you're a terrible cook, don't take them cookies. But, but if you if you you know if you can bake cookies or a cake or something or a pie, maybe take it down to them and welcome them to the neighborhood. And then, guess what? You knew you can recommend the church, and let them know that there's a fellowship that they might enjoy. They're looking for a church home, and some of you can visit actually visit people that visit service. These are some things that many can do. All right, and then. The last thing is there are some things that a few can do, and that might be go visit people. Not everybody is qualified to do that or able to do that for different reasons, but some can, and, and certainly there are a number of us that are willing to go visit people. So think about that if you could do that. Or to teach classes. As I said, certainly I've had people call me almost apologetically about a, a, a study or, or asking me a Bible question. I said, well, that's what I do. Don't be apologetic about that. I'm happy to teach a class or go with you to study with someone. And then there are some of us that can train others to do that. And so I'm saying there's something for everybody. There's something for some of us. And then there's something even for the few that can do some of these kinds of things. That's what we're talking about with effective evangelism. It's learning how to break down barriers and how to build bridges. Many years ago, a man by the name of Daniel Webster, that will ring a bell to you, made this statement, and it's certainly applicable to evangelism. He said, if we work upon marble, it will perish. If we work upon brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work upon men's immortal minds, if we abide them with high principles, with the just fear of God and the love of their fellow man, if we engrave on those tablets something which no time can efface and that which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. And Webster was right. When we touch the souls of men and women, of boys and girls, and bring them into a relationship with the Lord, haven't we impacted all eternity? And so that's what we're involved in. That's what effective evangelism is all about. It's not just trying to get numbers and, and to fill our building up and have a big church. It's about taking one more person to heaven. That's what it's about. I hope the thoughts tonight have been helpful to you and something's been said that will create within you the ability to be more effective in evangelistic outreach. As we close tonight, we sing the song that Kyle selected. And if you owe a duty to God in some way, if we can lift you in prayer before the Father's throne, if you have a need, if you've not obeyed the gospel, and though we haven't addressed that tonight, if you understand through previous study what it means to repent of your sins and confess Christ and be baptized for the mission of your sins, we'd love to minister to you in that way. While together we stand and while we sing.